0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. If you found yourself watching this episode on YouTube, then don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the link below on screen. We're bringing this episode to you live from the Premiership Experience offices here in Glasgow. Premiership Experience are our partners of the podcast and they offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad um, and provide our young people with unforgettable experiences. So you can check them out on Twitter at. Premiership Experience, or likewise, if you want to find out more information on the services that they provide, you can head on over to their website at www.premiershipexperience.co.uk.
1: Top man, first attempt. Well that, done. Right? that was brilliant. Done. Um, right.
0: That was
1: good. Eh? Good. <laughs> so, uh, from just to just to pick up on what Lewis said there, uh, Premiership Experience do provide unfor- unforgettable trips for the young people. Uh, uh, all the young people in my school still come to the P department and ask, um, you know, when we're going on the next trip. Obviously not in the current circumstances, but they really, really, uh, really, really enjoy the experience, and um, you actually get a wee half day at school as well for it, so you can get down to the Champions League nights. The Only downside is you don't get back to two in the morning sometimes. Um, but I just tell the kids you need to be in the next, you need to be in the morning, or um, you don't get to go on the next trip. Did you go in the morning? Absolutely not. You have to. So half day for you. No, it's great to have uh, Dan with us today, uh, joining the wee bit of everything. Um, just quickly before we get started onto the main kinda of part of the podcast, um from Brazil
0: to Mary Howlers. It's, it's, uh, it's been a it's been a journey, isn't it? That's where the, the podcast started as well. The first episodes were talking about our expeditions and our experiences, going to be over to the World Cup and then yeah, we're we'll we'll kind of found our, our niche and it's Been some journey. Doing the same kind of thing every week, aye. It's been yeah, great.
1: So this takes us to our first live episode as we was saying in the uh, in the Premiership Experience offices someplace. So we'll we'll get started then. So
2: Darren, how's things? How are you doing? Things are very good, thanks for thanks for having me along and I think I, I kind of a couple of years ago since I did my last Premiership Experience trip but same, I absolutely love it and yeah. I did go in the next morning, so How's your week been? Off? Your, your Week's weekend? been good, yeah, we just uh, been. enjoying a bit of golf um, a bit of relaxing after a, a very interesting first term, first term in the new role, so just good taking the time to unwind. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. How about you guys you've you've had a week off? Yeah, as well. I've
0: had my week off as well. We're both in, in Fife, so I've oh, enjoyed. Okay. We've actually I think next week's to be snowy, so I think we've had the, the best know. of the weather on the holidays, but that's good, is it? Nah. Get the sledge back out. Not at all.
1: In April. Unheard of. Aye. Right. So we're on to talk today about high impact teaching strategies. Um Darren's gonna talk about various strategies that he's um had experience with um and teaching what he's picked up over um his podcast as well. So uh, Dan's a podcaster with a he's become an educated podcast we listen to most weeks yeah. driving to work it's a good one for a commute um so how's that how's that going for you you're on the other side of things today but how well, you? it's
2: very interesting being on this side but the, the podcast is is going great um, so fascinating um getting to speak to such a wide array of of educationalist professionals mm-hmm. on on some interesting themes like the one this week was on deliberate practice which was such a fascinating fascinating um idea to bring into education because obviously being being sportsmen here we, with we know a lot about practice and, and kind of the sporting sphere but what about in terms of our teaching we kind of take teaching for granted a little bit so I think that was interesting to dig a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. that and then some of the other conversations I've had with so many people I mean I don't want to start listing them because I, I'll i forget some so mm, yeah <laughs> no, that's fair enough no, right, you've had a fair few though, haven't you
0: how I many what, what episode you on now? I it? think
2: we're on 57 just 57 now. Well. Um, got 62 recorded and a few more on the pipeline. So. That's what
0: I was saying. It's a good effort you doing that yourself because we can uh, split the, the burden of the, the duties. So Clark secures mm. the guests and then I've got the, the editing duties at the end. But this is my first yeah. one that I'm not going to have to edit it. So thanks, Jack <laughs> for that. <laughs> I
2: appreciate that. <it>. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so how did it all start then in the podcast? Uh, it started, um, I can remember um, around about. October in 2019, uh, I was reading. I started reading a lot of books about education and um, listening to podcasts myself. And, and I realised that in the podcast that a lot of these uh, guys doing them, you know, Phil Naylor, Craig barton and Ollie Lovell, they were all teachers themselves. So yeah. I like, oh, started. I fancy speaking to some of these mm-hmm. people and reading these books. So I just kind of decided I'm going to do, do a podcast. But luckily. At the same time, our, my previous school lunch, like i were doing uh, a TEDx event, TEDx Click Manager, which you can find. I think you can find it on on YouTube. And um, there are a couple of people uh, there who were on early on my podcast, like uh, Gavin Oates, David Cameron, Bradley Bush. They were all early episodes, and so that I was able to get the ball rolling then. And I just started contacting people, and I think this has been a really amazing thing. I suppose you guys find it as well. I just started contact people saying I loved your book. I'd love to chat to you about it. Would you be up for it? And everyone, everyone so far has said, yeah, yeah, I'd, said yeah. I'd be up for that. Mm-hmm. And no, nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. they agree to
1: yeah, come it's on.
2: It's and great. It's great professional of, development. I've had one or two that have said, come back to me in mm-hmm. six months because I've got a new book out. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then the you just need to chase them up again. You know, it's been re- really good and having the conversation around teaching because it kind of around about that time. I felt that like most of the conversation I having, I was having, were you know, SQE related, admin related, behaviour related, and not actually about the pedagogy that Mm -hmm. I was using in my my practice. And I wanted to find out if, kind of the way I started, because when I started reading, I wanted to find out if, you know, people had researched teaching as much as, say, medicine's been researched Mm -hmm. or dentistry's been researched or, um, kind of, some of those professions. And because it is such a a multifactorial dynamic profession there must be some best bets so it kind of went down that route and I suppose I use my podcast now to kind of share kind of the thinking of different educationists Mm -hmm. and um, different ideas and it's been fascinating having the conversations with so many people from a a range of primary, secondary, further education on what high impact teaching looks for them in their Mm -hmm. context. it's good
0: it gets you thinking about about your own teaching and I think it gives you that wee bit of motivation speaking to these different people to actually go and try something in your own, mm. your own teaching and off the back of it I've tried like a, quite a few things Of speaking to some of the guests even guests that we've had on that are primary PE specialists and stuff like that um, not necessarily just high school teachers mm. or, so it's been it's been a great learning curve for, for us as well certainly, so. yeah, certainly.
2: I certainly like the idea that there's mm. something to learn from everybody to yeah. take into your own and, and try and, and embed in your own practice and it's been fascinating in terms of thinking deeply about our, our own practice because I think probably about two years ago I, I kind of took my practice for granted a little bit and thought I was doing all right whereas mm-hmm. once I started digging into these things I was like maybe I wasn't doing all right maybe I could have done mm-hmm. a little you all, bit. You can always
1: bit. be better can't you I think that's the kind of mindset that that's important isn't it you can always, always pick up stuff from all the podcasts and it's just trying to action on it as well mm-hmm. the next day and make sure you're taking the steps it's all about improvement and mm-hmm. um, I think That's hopefully what our podcast offers as a a platform for everyone to improve and improve their practice. So um, moving on then, so you've just got a new post.
2: Different, is it te- te- yes, um, Principal Teacher Teaching and Learning? Principal Teacher Teaching and Learning at Bell Baxter High School. Where about is that in fact? It's in Cooper. Cooper, is it? Cooper, a yeah. A nice area. Oh, lovely, is lovely. He's going to start asking I, you I, could I, 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 up there. I, I couldn't actually Do tell you. The, 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 Andy, the, is it St. Andrews? The not? schools, just as you drive in, so I've actually not been into the town yet. Right, okay. Because so, we've, we've only had the two weeks of yeah. the school, so um so far so far so good it started on the 11th of january so the bulk of my job has been sitting in my home in my, in yeah. my shorts and t shirt mm. just speaking to a yeah, yeah. screen so the last two weeks before term we got to go in and
0: such an good. unusual time to get a new job isn't it especially, <laughs> like, especially in a school when there's just so many new people that you need to, to go and meet including the kids and the,
2: the staff alike i know i find it's it hard. find it strange having kind of made connections with with um my colleagues on a, on a screen, and then seeing them in person, it's like, wow, you're a lot taller. Bro. Yeah. I thought you were. <laughs> uh, don't get a true picture online, do you? No, you definitely don't.
1: You don't. Those departmental meetings online as well can be tricky, um, just try to read the body language. I know, and you
2: can't tell when to jump in when and jump when in, not. You end up
1: speaking over each other. Um, so, moving on then. So, the importance, before we move into the actual teaching strategies um, that you're going to speak about, the importance of any teaching and learning strategy is about uh, good attention from the focus from the pupils to the teacher, and the importance of positive behaviour. First of all, do you agree with that statement, and um, how important do you think that is? The behaviour side, first and foremost.
2: Let's start starting with behaviour. I think behaviour is paramount because um, if you think about it, if I take steel from one of my own guests, in Sam Strickland, he says that the low level disruption is kryptonite mm-hmm. to to good teaching, and I and I agree with that. You know, you can't. Uh, give any sort of explanation and if if lewis is mucking about under the under the table he's not listening to you he's not thinking or if i'm sitting next to you and i'm punching your leg yeah mm-hmm. you're not thinking about about the learning so when you ask questions and you check for understanding later and they can't give you um the responses that you're looking for it's because they haven't been listening they haven't been behaving so it's so important that that behavior is right because when behavior is right the children can then give you their attention. Mm-hmm. And attention is absolutely paramount to any sort of learning. You know, Pets McRae talks about what we attend to is what we learn. And this idea that what we place our attention on mm-hmm. is ultimately ultimately what we learn. And if I'm too busy trying to, to Pinging a l- rubber at you, Lewis. I'm yeah. not thinking right, about. An it. An I'm thinking. I'm thinking about can I get you? In the, can I get you in the forehead So That's where my attention is. Yeah. So my attention's not on the teacher's exposition and questioning. Mm-hmm. So you I'm be not really bad know. to miss out for that for <laughs> 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 oh, you. Yeah. So little dancers. Bad crack. when you get your one liners written in your notes, in it? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Wait, i you got a list of them there? I uh, yeah. know that's not so, actually these questions. So having having high standards of behaviour, I think, is is the first. Kind of protocol for any teacher, and, make, and you, you kind of go into the classrooms all the, the best teachers, and you walk in, and the children are, are just flawless in their behaviour and their the, their attention to the teacher. And but what we often mistake when we see that is we think that it's the the teacher that's done that, but that's not what's happened. They've embedded that over time. The routines they've followed, the behaviour policy, they've mm. issued the demerits, they've issued the detentions. Mm which corrects the behavior over time, and it's this idea of expecting 100% attention 100% of the time. Because if we follow the idea that Pepsi and gives of what we attend to is what we learn, we need to hold the students' attention. Mm. And if we think about it in terms of, of teaching them, we want to teach them, so we want to impart our knowledge to them. So we need to think about are they listening, so, for example, right now you two are looking at me, so I know mm-hmm. that I have your attention. Engaged. So, are they listening? So that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to ask the, t- the students to look at me, mm-hmm. track me, or whatever you use. You now, some some schools um, will use different strategies. I spoke to Louis Everett, and his school use acronyms like ASAP. Jack Deversley, mm-hmm. Marcy's school uses stars. Um, some schools use slant but these are all acronyms to get the students to sit up to listen to the teacher to track the teacher mm-hmm. to answer ask and answer questions to kind of nod their head I'm not sure about that one but nod their head but like you're doing there so I know that I have your yeah. attention so yeah, are you, you do listening? that first
1: before you give the instructions and yeah. make sure that they're sitting up and listening and focused. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sometimes
2: you can then jump in to give your instruction and <laughs> you've not really got their attention. Mm-hmm. So you need their attention first and you only get that through high standards of behaviour so if you've the teacher you watch—that's the best. They've corrected the behaviour over time. Mm. That's maybe been twelve detentions, twenty-two demerits, and a couple of phone calls home, but the behaviour's there yeah. already. And, they put the ground, and they it's important it. if you're a, if you're a younger teacher or an early career teacher. It's important that you follow the behaviour policy and don't go rogue on -hmm. different behaviours, you follow the behaviour policy and don't be afraid to use it. I think some people are afraid to use behaviour policies but that's what they're there for. They're there to support the teacher to make sure the children have high standards standards of behaviour and they're listening to you. Because if you think about any sort of exposition, you want to make sure, are they listening? Then after that you want to check, do they understand? And they won't be able to understand if they're not paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of use your comprehension questions and you check for understanding as they go, mm-hmm. if they're paying attention to you and they're attending to that information, then they're going to be able to be successful in, the, in their learning. I think some people use, for example, use questions to catch people out. Mm-hmm. But I think all you're doing is reinforcing that they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if you're laying off, looking off into the stars and, or flicking rubbers and so on, and I ask you a question and you don't know, that's gonna make you feel unsuccessful. And we don't want students to feel unsuccessful, we want them to leave our classes feeling successful, feeling like they've achieved, so I'm gonna make sure you're listening first, Mm -hmm. then I'm gonna be clear in my exposition, then I'm gonna ask you questions, do you understand? And then at a later date, coming back to this idea of retrieval, I'm gonna ask you, do you remember? So I think that three questions are really Mm -hmm. key for, for teachers, are they listening? do they understand and then ultimately do they remember and mm-hmm. you get that through following behaviour policies making sure attention is on you and then giving you an instruction
0: I, I loved um, listening to your the episode that you had with Tom Bennett and see just listening to some of the examples he gives I'm like that is me in a nutshell like some of the things that I've done mm-hmm. like the typical example, the, the example you just gave there about trying to catch a pupil out to see if they've been listening or not like mm-hmm. I can count like I've lost count how many times I've <laughs> actually done that yeah, same. Um, no. How the challenges on your I think sometimes, see some of the things that I feel myself saying, it's maybe some of the things that I've experienced when I've been a pupil in school. Like some of the teachers would say to me and like things that my dad would say to me and things like that. And I just subconsciously feel myself just gravitating towards mm. those wee sayings. But I suppose mm. it's just having um, those scripts ready, isn't it? Like mm. so that you know, so you're dealing with it the same way all the time and making sure those scripts are like reasonable and you're not absolutely going over the top with it and making them feel like unsuccessful or putting them down. It's just a consistent yeah. message that you're saying for every like kind of mm-hmm. different area uh, behaviour that you're trying to deal with. and I suppose that comes with time as well, though, doesn't it? Like it, comes, trying to, it comes
2: with the experience, like they yeah. said in the deliberate Practice thing, that it, you need experience, but you need the right experience. Yeah. It's interesting what you said there. And Adam Boxer does a lot of work on front-loading expectations. So um, get your pen and paper out first before you say something, then get your pen and paper out. So mm-hmm. you front-load the, the means of participation we're going to be right in. I'm then going to going to tell you. But also positive framing your your responses. So if you're continually not listening to me, I would say, Clark, that's a demerit. We listen so that we learn, so next time you're going to be paying attention to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: I move on. And then I'm ready and I'm going to go back and check. I might have a look at look at Clark, make sure he's paying attention to me. I'm going to make sure that he's looking mm-hmm. at me and so on. But I haven't said, that's a demerit. How dare you not listen? listen? I've said, that's a demerit. Listen we life. listen because so that we learn. So make sure you can do that. Or I would say, uh, Lewis, um I know that you can. I know that you're better than that. Make sure you pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm ex- setting my expectations that I know that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Do it now, and I'm being firm. I've got high expectations, but I'm framing it in a positive manner. Yeah, I'm it's not, so important, isn't it? The language because like we don't want to catch children out. And kind of when I first read that, and because I was the same. I used mm-hmm. to. So to, it gives him a chance, so doesn't it, to like Clark's, um, Clark's staring out the window. So I'm going to use the learning hmm. to punish him. Yeah. I not think that, that, but then that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I want Clark to be successful. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make, I, I'm going to not punish. I'm going to try and restore it. Add consequence to his not paying attention, and then give him the learning mm-hmm. so that he can be successful. Yep.
0: It's like the old, the old one going run a lap.
1: If you do that again, you're, you're right now, <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the primary one, if you yeah. do that again. He's only doing
2: PE today. PE a punishment. It's um, a funny one. The using it as a unit a punishment uh-huh. because it's not a punishment. It's mm-hmm. it's um, so important for our health, our well-being. And it's it's so important that that children and, and and adults see it in a in a positive light. And yeah. I think that's been one of the, the the positives of lockdown. Is so many people have decided to go outside and go for a run or mm-hmm. go for a walk yeah, and so that's on. So. Basically.
1: Yeah, so I think, as well as it, I was listening to your episode on deliberate practice and I'm talking about modelling, I think it's really important as well as teachers that we model those listening skills as well so mm. they can they can see us doing it because that's what Marie Kerr said as well on the podcast, Yeah, they, it's a mirror. Mm-hmm. So they will mirror your behaviour, your personality in the class. Mm-hmm. That was another good thing that I took away from it.
2: Definitely, and in, in Doug Moff talks about voice equity. So I, I'm not cold calling you to... to Make you uncomfortable. I'm being strategic about that because mm. I know that you've been listening. So I'm going to ask you my question so you can be successful. But I want to hear your voice. Yeah. You know. And when I'm when you're speaking, I'm going to be doing the same. I'm going to be mm. nodding. I'm going to be looking. You know. I might as the teacher be scanning the room at the same time, make sure everyone else is giving you the attention you deserve. But I'm going to be looking at you as well. And it's like you say, it's important yeah, that it. we that we model that and we listen to our students when they're giving the responses mm. and we listen to their full sentences and so on.
0: Oh, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of the day. When I was in school there for the last couple of weeks, when I was asking uh, some of the pupils questions, and they've got their mask on, I, was like, I can't let them like this. I really couldn't hear what they were saying at all. It, hard. Hard. it was an absolute nightmare. It's like trying to get them to, or even just pull it out a wee bit, so they can try and project the voice. <laughs> over it, But defeats the purpose of the mask, mm-hmm. doesn't I think it? We're all experiencing these. Aye, that, was situations char- that was a challenge. That was one of the things that I was thinking about. I, was like, I can't even make out what these guys are trying. To, I know you're almost but, trying uh, to answer. ask
2: asking them to to speak up and yeah. present. But that, that brings me back to another one about and um, when I spoke with Pratesh Raichura, um he spoke about um how he encourages students to use full shape answers. I can't remember, I can't even remember what the answer is, but they asked them to project the voice, even in mm-hmm. normal time. So it's kind of doubly important to yeah, project the voice near because quite often you'll ask a student a question and the mumble because yep. about that voice, voice equity mm-hmm. making a safe space in your in your mm-hmm. classes because you've got the high yeah. high standards of behavior you've corrected behavior you've used positive framing mm-hmm. I, 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 there's nothing wrong with you going listen can you say that again but when you yeah. project your voice a little, a little mm-hmm. bit time loud and proud please yeah. and mm-hmm. then you can encourage them to project their voice and, and use their voice because oftentimes in, in Across a school day in classrooms, they maybe don't get to speak that very often. So when they do get called upon, it's important that they they project their voice because mm-hmm. they wouldn't sit down down in their house and mm-hmm. you know their parents are downstairs. They wouldn't mumble asking for a glass of water. They mm-hmm. would go, "Mom, get you a glass of water." <laughs> you know, so getting them to getting them to do that same thing but with a more academic register in your classroom. I think
0: that comes down to the lack of confidence potentially as well, and what they're saying. Something that was see like on that topic see when I was I was doing my mountain leader training at the tail end of last I think it was October last year and um just thinking about like even answering out see when the, the instructor was asking us questions I was like even feeling myself like afraid to answer out in case I got the answer wrong and that's like, like that's me as a 26 year old um, feeling that so that made me think about how that makes the pupils yeah. feel in your class when you like put them in the spot like that as well so it's understanding that that's how, how it's going to make them feel ultimately isn't yeah. it and trying nope. obviously to, to get them to be successful like
1: you said them, I was, we, no. put them down as Darren said mm-hmm. as well, it's interesting mm-hmm. but I think the big challenge for me as a teacher on, on what you were saying was um, the importance of getting their attention when you're giving them the instructions is then how how do we know if they have taken it in so the challenge is sometimes when you're moving through the portfolio everyone, I, I feel as if I'm trying to get through each question and get through the principles of training and then next lesson that's me finished with that so will re- maybe revisit it at the start sometimes you just, I feel as if I'm moving through the course too quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, you might talk about retrieval practice coming up shortly, but that was just something I was thinking about there, is when, knowing when they've taken it in, yeah. and knowing when to move on during a lesson and then after a lesson. Mm-hmm.
0: It's
1: just something I was thinking of. I thought I'd share it with these. Um, so, aye. That's a,
2: it's a very, very interesting point because the physical education courses are quite sequential in nature, and often when we get to a point the the students need to remember what went before and i think that's to do with our curriculum planning more than sort of the students felt they can't remember because we always forget you know the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve from the 1880s has been it's been repeated and proven over time so you get this x ex- next me it's going down the way so the minute you learn something almost 20 minutes later you've forgotten it mm-hmm. and then i think it's ultimately I think somebody's decided on 21 days, I don't know what that's the magic number, you've completely forgot it. You know, if you take in kind of the ideas, um, if I go back to uh, Robert and Elizabeth they talk about their theory of disuse, or their new theory of disuse. They talk about retrieval strength and storage strength. So if I ask you to tell me your mobile phone, you would be able to tell me that really quickly, because it has got high storage strength Mm -hmm. and high retrieval strength. Mm -hmm. If you're going on holiday, and you've got a hotel room number, that has a high retrieval strength the week you're on holiday, mm-hmm. but a low a low storage strength because the last time you went on holiday, I had a broad holiday, can you tell me the number the, your hotel room number? Sixteen. Was it actually? No, <laughs> <joking. laughs> <laughs> because you forget it. Right, it's, it's got, got it's got, got, got low use. So if you think about yeah. if you think about our schooling, if we experience schooling once or a curriculum part of our once, it might for that week have a high retrieval strength, but will have a low storage strength. And it's this idea between performance and learning. So we think back to what I said, earlier, are they listening? Do they understand, do they remember? Do they remember needs to come later? Mm-hmm. Because if I teach you something, mm-hmm. I've got you listening to me and I've explained it, I've used question answering, we've used tasks, I've repeated my questioning, um, you've probably said it to me once or twice, you've probably written it down in that lesson. Mm-hmm. When you leave that lesson, you've performed in that lesson. So, you know, we all do, oh, they were great today. Mm-hmm. But then when you ask them the same stuff a week later, blank faces. Yeah, Because they've forgot it. And Just... that's the importance of retrieval practice, revisiting. You know, uh, Mark McCourt writes about his mastery model of schooling, Engelman's direct instruction, they kind of... Talk about that in a lesson, 20, 15 to 20% should be new content, 80 to 85% should be revisiting content. See, that's, so in, that's interesting. And so I would do it the other way almost. Is that know? just to connect the dots between the previous learning and then the... It's because it, builds on, it yeah. builds on knowledge. So, so the they retrieve it? Does that mean it goes into the storage part? So, be, so if you think about the, the curve, it right. goes down. Each time you retrieve it, so think of the curve like a, a half-life of a battery. Right. You know, it goes down. But each time you retrieve it, you shorten the half-life. Right. Okay. And each time you, you go up. to retrieve it. And this is where this idea of spaced retrieval comes in. Mm-hmm. Pujagawell and Patrice Bain wrote a book called Powerful Teaching and Kate Jones' retrieval practice are really good on this. Is that there is like this kind of idea of optimal spacing and retrieval. So if your exam's a hundred days away, you want to retrieve your information every Eight to ten days, mm-hmm. you go back and you visit it, and you do that through. That's so why flashcards are quite good. I spoke to uh, Sam Elliott, who wrote a great book called Asbo Teacher. <laughs> absolutely hi- seen that absolutely, absolutely hilarious, oh. but so full of knowledge. And he was a history teacher asked to teach geography. To learn the geography, he turned the whole body of knowledge that he had to teach from the exam spec or from textbooks into flashcards. Mm-hmm. And he would use flashcards himself. So he was using space retrieval okay. on the bus on the way yeah. home. Can you get it? And eventually you just know it. And Daisy Christadulu did a wonderful research ed talk on how to remember anything forever and it's this idea of space retrieval and that's Mm -hmm. why the rise of apps like anki and quizlet and flashcards are so important so Mm -hmm. um kind of if you want kids to remember stuff from the portfolio or from into higher you know there's there's things like carousel learning quizlet quizzes these short retrieval practice activities Mm -hmm. helps them remember and repeat it over time and the more you repeat it the idea is that its retrieval strength ma- maintains high but its storage strength gets a little bit higher because we want students to be able to know things for an exam but we want them also to know it beyond the exam mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is this funny idea around cramming and studying you know we all most people study by cramming the night before and it actually works mm-hmm. because if you think about the forgetting curve mm-hmm. it's, in your memory, it's so. you've not forgot it yet mm-hmm. but a week after the exam it's gone yeah mm-hmm. and all this spacing. And interleaving, interleaving is another fascinating one because that's quite relevant to practical because one of the most famous studies around interleaving is that we were gonna be tested on throwing balls or bean bags into a, a bucket that's three meters away. But you trained only for three meters away, but you trained, in your training, you d- went to two and four, you didn't go to three. Mm-hmm. So you practiced to two, to four, to two, to three, but you practiced three, 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 three. Mm-hmm. On the actual test day, he performed better which is so oh, fascinating. fascinating and it's this kind of idea but all the kind of most of the, the studies into retrieval practice and showing so one of the most famous ones i think it's rodiger and carpica in 2006 or yeah 2006 and they had a group that studied for four periods and then did a test another group that studied for two periods did two tests and then a final test mm-hmm. and then the final group studied once did three tests and then the final test now on a, like the end of that week so let's say it was monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday on the friday mm-hmm. the first group had the highest performance so think about the forgetting curve mm-hmm. so they studied all week boom they aced the test they went through more content mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but a week later this group that went study test 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 so they quizzed themselves on little quizzes so they did that kind of idea they were exponentially better Right. That they retained so much more knowledge. I think the graph is like well, kind of longer after
0: the Yeah, so a week like after a they
2: retained it. Because they'd repeat it. So this idea that testing is better for our learning and this idea that forgetting is a friend of learning is what the mm-hmm. Bjork say. So you almost need to allow time to forget. So you teach your lesson on Monday on target setting. You then give them homework, which is a quiz. So five to eight five to ten questions, quiz. Mm-hmm. And then you test it again on the friday Mm -hmm. and then you repeat it again that same test could be your do now quiz your simple Mm -hmm. starter task and then it kind of that information is more likely to be basically the
0: formative assessment though isn't it
2: yeah that's
0: in a nutshell what the retrieval practice is Mm -hmm. is, because it's like the low stakes that's what they can uh, exactly because
2: retrieval practice can be simple as you asking a question Mm -hmm. so if i asked you so we did it on monday and then the following Wednesday, I'm going to ask you a question and you go, oh, and then you think that there is thinking around the harder you have to think, the yeah. more likely it is to be embedded in your learning. But mm. simply questioning you is an act of retrieval. What's really interesting to me just now is how do we support parents to support our children? And that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. why don't we just give the parents a bank of flashcards mm-hmm. and say right before they leave the dinner table ask them five questions yeah, I, do. I ask you five questions from the flashcard pile mm-hmm. you're having to retrieve in your home before you get to go and play FIFA on the Xbox
1: Yeah, you can ask either. it before dinner if you don't get it right they're not getting their dinner they're <laughs> <laughs> not getting their dinner, i do not getting their Xbox would be a better suggestion you're not getting your dinner uh, nah it's- I think Kate, Kate also put on Twitter, that Kate Jones, who's big on that as well, said that it's not a testing, it's not just testing, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a teaching and learning strategy, mm-hmm. retrieval practice as well, because I used to think it was a test, like mm-hmm. a small quiz and you give them a mark out a 10. Yeah. But then that creates that sort of... Think, uh,
2: about, think about your teaching, if you give that kids, let's go back to the target setting on the Monday, they get the kids on the Friday, but they get three questions wrong, but they've all got the three questions mm-hmm. wrong. Then you know that that's. A you just need to reteach, it. re-teach hmm. it. So I'm going to re-cover that. I'm going to re-explain that. I'm going to model model yeah. what I'm looking for, and then we're going to go again. That helps you. then. So it informs like, you.
0: That's a big thing I've taken. I Some... like the idea about how see still on the topic of this, but doing like when you're doing your multiple choice, M questions, like thinking really carefully about how you want them, like trying to identify the wrong answer and the distractors are. Or, or, like for one, I, if it was um, in relation to the SCAT, and um, I put like loads of different. So it was like sports competition anxiety test, sports competition anxiety tactic. So just like making them very similar, and they've got to actually look at the answer to try and identify. The you've right. got to read. You've got to I, read it. Yeah. So rather than just making th- the most obvious one that you could, that anybody yeah. could answer. And are almost learning like four things because you need to know that that's
1: not it. That's not it. Mm-hmm. That's not it. And that's not it and that is it. Yeah. So they learn more on top of the right answer. So the big thing I've taken from that is is not to. Um, just teach new content I think that's something that a lot of teachers must be thinking as well like you just teach new content every lesson that's yeah. all you really do you maybe do a quick starter task um, but that was fascinating 15% of new content and 85% of
0: Aye. Uh, retrieval so interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. No you covered that uh, really well there Dan in relation to how kind of important behaviour is to, to get it right with your mm. teaching and learning side of things and I think it's something that Especially for me as a young teacher, something that we always need to strive to to, to be in tip-top shape in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I, moving on, then we've had a wee bit of discussion back and forth prior to the episode about the different areas that you would like to discuss. And one thing that I was particularly interested in was the the idea of cognitive load, or the cognitive load theory. Um, could you tell us maybe a wee bit more about this in relation to our teaching, and more importantly, how this can affect learning? I've done a wee bit of research on it prior to coming in, and um, I can speak about this later, but I was speaking with um, my girlfriend's dad and I was thinking about this when he was like trying to explain the things to me about a mortgage and I was like thinking about this, I was like is this what's happening right now and,
2: and it, was, it was quite fascinating to actually think about it as I was actually learning something new. So it goes kind of goes hand in hand to this idea of story strength and having things in our brain, that but cognitive cognitive log theory is a really fascinating one, I highly recommend uh, looking into some of Ollie Lovell's work, he's mm-hmm. really going to be working with John, John Swiller reviewed his book before he picked because there's so much more to it than just kind of the theory behind it and split attention effects redundant redundancy, redundancy effect, um, sorry, um, still working, uh, re- redundancy effect, um, variation theory is something that I've only started to dip my toe in, which is so, so fascinating. But basically, and kind of think about our students mm-hmm. and your experience with the mortgage. Yeah. Our working memory is—if you think about our learning—so um, basically, think about is the environment is all around us. So what we place our attention on is what goes into our working memory. Yeah. Our working memory is where we manipulate that information, but it has a very limited kind of storage capacity. You know, it can. Some people said I think it was Miller in the 1950s said it was five to nine things but somebody else came along and said no it's four to six but mm-hmm. everyone's got a different kind of idea i think um david dina calls it the fluid intelligence so i mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. everyone's different so i think That's about three, three of us and we're buckets full of water you know your working memory capacity might be yeah. nearly half full mm-hmm. mine's way down the bottom and yours is high mm-hmm. up because we all have different and we can't change that yeah so our working memory is really limited um, and we can overload our working memory really quickly, but it's mm. highly supported by our long-term memory. So if we think about learning, our, we choose our attention, it goes into our working memory, we manipulate that information, and by learning it, it goes into our long-term memory. Then the retrieval is getting it back out of the long-term memory yeah. into the working memory for us to use it. But our working memory gets overloaded really, really quickly. I can give you an example if somebody wants to be a, a victim. Right, go for that. So <laughs> I'm going to say numbers, and I want you to repeat them back to me. Right. One, nine, one. 191 191419 191419 18 19141918 191 191 419 1819 1819 you need to see them all No you need to say them all No Great <laughs> <laughs> right, so I say that again so, sorry, wait, okay 191 wait wait one, oh, so when finished 191 819 191819 I've 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 lost it. I need to start again. So <laughs> I've lost it again. Sorry. I was Sorry. So, I was getting yeah. 19131419 nine nine <laughs> nine nine. you've, <laughs> you've you've lost all lost it, lost it. capacity. Absolutely. Now, so yeah, but your long-term memory has all those numbers. This is called chunking. So the numbers were 1914 1918 1939 1945. Mm-hmm. What are they what do they represent in your memory? Years. But what what do they represent? What happened in those years? So say them again, 19... So 1914 to 1918, uh-huh. 1939 to 1945. Come on. Was it the wars? It was the wars. <pressure laughs> so, that, that, <laughs> so that same numbers... By You're saying on mu- the next one. So uh, I, got that, I got that a little bit wrong trying to remember it myself, yeah. but that same numbers yeah, yeah. eventually presenting them. There was too many numbers for you to remember. Uh-huh. So overloaded your working memory. But when we chunk them and put them in dates, yeah. which you eventually got, yep. you attach them to loads of things in your working memory, mm-hmm. which made them a lot easier to remember. Yeah. And you can do it with letters and words and mm-hmm. signs. You can try and remember all this kind of words. I think it's X, B, B, C, C, I, something, mm-hmm. A, and then when they're re-jumbled, it's like BBC, C, I, A, Fox, and it's things you have in your long-term memory that you can access. I was more fascinated
1: by how you Par- remember all the rumbles. <laughs> <laughs> I know how was able. No, I you like done? I like
0: tasks like that, but you can actually
2: see like how it works in uh-huh. action right there and then. Like but that's m- that's powerful. If you think about you being learned about the mortgage, eventually there was a point when you went, "I just yeah. I'm lost." Aye. So let's think. Let's take back to our teaching. So I've got your attention. Yeah. One of the physical things that happen is that I could have your attention, but eventually you're going to go. Mhm. And then come back. So I've still got your attention but your body has went oh, too much i can't remember so it's just looking off and looking off and away so whereas i think that you're not paying attention you actually are you yeah. just you've just been you've just had that switch of being cognitively overloaded mm. so if you think about our instructions if i think about an instruction especially the end of class right stop there put your racket down pick up the shuttle put yeah. it over there put that there put that there and stand there yeah. you know there's too many instructions yeah. far too many mm-hmm. so it's about chunking our instructions to mm-hmm make it um, more accessible for the young people. So if we're explaining things, we need to be very clear and have clarity in our explanation Mm. so we know exactly. We don't want the the students to misconstrue what we're saying. So we need to be very clear. This idea around about planning and scripting our instructions and planning and scripting our our questions. But there's a number of other things that can overload young people. Mm -hmm. PowerPoints are kind of teachers friends but they're the student's enemy mm-hmm. so a working memory can be overloaded. i'm standing up speaking but i've also got pictures words on the powerpoint excuse me now there's too much things to look at
0: mm-hmm.
2: i think it's the redundancy effect if i put a powerpoint with words on and i say the same words yeah one of them is being redundant and you're just going to forget about them all yep. so it's lot of work into dual coding by oliver caviglioli david roger goodwin and him i a book just now about graphic organizers and you'll see a lot of pictures on twitter of really clean looking powerpoints and clean looking materials Mm -hmm. lots of white space and minimal kind of words really easy on the eye like really easy on the eye Mm -hmm. so where's your focus Mm -hmm. you know if you have a worksheet you know i can remember at school you had a worksheet you had task one and you had this and a picture and then this there then this there and you had to pick from everything but it was too many things there so I think in terms of teachers, we need to consider our instructions, chunk our instructions. We need yes. to consider our materials, our PowerPoints. And there's also a really fascinating study called Clever Classrooms. So if you go to Clever Classrooms, you'll find it. And they looked at students in a clean classroom, empty walls, mm-hmm. nothing in the walls compared to students in a busy classroom, hundreds oh. of stuff in the With walls. With the posters up? Mm-hmm. The ones in the clean classroom learned more. Did they? Because there's there's nothing there now. It's, it goes deeper than that because it's interesting. Because if you think about your living room, you've you totally dismissed the wallpaper. Mm-hmm. You don't notice it when you're when you're watching TV or when you're sitting there because it's it's kind of been you've been used to that room. Yeah. So if you've been in a classroom for six months, you're just used to it. So it mm-hmm. all kind of phases out because you decide where you place your attention on. But interesting in terms of the the graphic organizing the powerpoints and the dual coding is that there's a misconception around dual coding is that people will present a powerpoint and go look at my dual coded powerpoint Mm -hmm. or look i'm dual coding my materials but you haven't dual coding happens inside your head Mm -hmm. from my understanding Mm -hmm. so like your working memory
1: so that's just having like your powerpoint different to what you're saying
2: yeah so dual coding is like having an image so you kind of have a really simple image and a really simple explanation so um for example, take the cycle of analysis investigate, investigate, mm-hmm. analyze, develop, evaluate. I could say that, and I've got I use a visualizer, I would write it and mm-hmm. draw the diagram as I'm saying it. So I'm explaining mm-hmm. my thinking and seeing it. So they're seeing that mm-hmm. image. I like guess going to a science classroom, and you might have a picture of a heart up, yeah. but the teacher through their exposition is going to label that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I can. I, Poor, not a poorer methodology to use that would have it up already labelled. Mm-hmm. But a stronger way for learning is to have the empty heart and label it when you're there. Right? right. So you're there because dual coding happens inside our working memory. So your working memory isn't just one channel. Uh, I can't remember who came up with this. None of it was Richard Mayer's multimedia effect or that's, well, I think it's badly in Hitch. So your working memory has kind of um, got a lot to it. So they came up with the central executive, which you choose to put your little thing on. And there's also the phonological loop. So you're using the phonological loop to listen to me and the visuospatial sketchpad. So you're using your visuospatial sketch sketchpad to see my hands and, and drawing. So if you think about it, in a classroom, I'm underneath my visualizer, I'm writing, I'm saying
0: mm-hmm.
2: about the cycle of analysis and I'm drawing it out. I might go further and say, well, this is when we gathered information, this mm-hmm. is when we kind of yeah. analyze our results. We set targets here and are mapping it out. So yeah. they got a visual representation of what I'm saying and the dual coding's happening inside your head If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So that, you're just thinking, by, about thinking and thinking by stripping thinking. our exposition back and going saying, being really deliberate about our instruction and chunking our instruction. So if you take the tidy up phase, it's stop, track me, put your racket down. Mm-hmm. Then after that I can say, you're gonna get the nets, what's your job? Get the nets. You're gonna get the stands, what's your job? Get the stands. And Jack over there, he's gonna get the rackets and shuttles and he'll tell me what's his job. And then we'll go from there. So I've chunked it, Yeah. and it's taken the same amount of time as me going, Stop, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, 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 listen to me. Aye. You know, so I've chunked it down, I've broken it down, I've made it really explicit, mm-hmm. so I don't want anyone to be confused. So if I'm talking about mm. my target setting, I'm going through, if you use smart targets, so S, this, give an example. Yeah. M, give an example, I'm gonna go back, what does specific mean? You know, what does S stand for? And I'm going back and then I'm building it up mm. slowly and then I might get them to write it down or do a task or I might demonstrate a, an answer. It's interesting, you, I think it was you mentioned something earlier on about different examples and one, Good way to do it, one of the best things for supporting students in their learning is this idea of worked examples or examples and Mm non-examples. So take the the first section of our portfolio. People use structures, so one factor that impacts my performance says this this is because this led to this meant that, whatever you use. So I might under my visualizer model exactly what I want to say, and I'm gonna verbalise my thinking. So this idea of accessing metacognition, I'm verbalizing what I'm thinking. So that might be busy but I'm okay with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm then going to slow down and I'm going to ask you a little bit of questions about why did I decide that? Why did I decide that? Then we're going to work them together, this idea of I, we, you. Then we're going to work them together. So I'm going to say, right, Lewis, what was the first sentence again? And then, okay, Clark, how do I start my second sentence? What do I say? Mm-hmm. And then I would say, Jack, give me an example. And then we'd build it together. Yeah. But another good way to do it is to then write a, a poor example and then then ask you, is that a good example? Is that strong enough? And mm-hmm. then pick out why it's not good. So when the, when the students can understand, well, that's good, that's not good, mm-hmm. I need to make it good, and then you work again at good, and then you give them an independent task to do, and as you're going, going mm-hmm. round, you can then be of a visualizer, is that I could grab your book and say, right, is Clark's good? Could it be better? How would mm-hmm. you make it better? Mm-hmm. Or what do you like about it? What yes. will under, underline it? So then they're unpicking the, Justify the the good bits so you're not overloading them with too many things you're focusing on the same thing and you're supporting them through your example through your explanations through your questioning Mm -hmm. and so on but it's important that we don't overload our students with too much stuff because they might already come overloaded you know they might have you know how difficult is it to teach children if there's been some sort of astucey at lunch Mm -hmm. or a good example I always give is that it kind of tends—it tends to happen in in kind of upper top floor lessons, which tends to be maths and science. Is that I'm teaching away, you're having a great lesson, a wasp flies in, <laughs> learning's that's gone, it. learning has gone. Yeah, you will need to reteach, re-teach that because overload attention. They're getting of
1: that fight or flight response, and it's mm-hmm. working for the limbic part of the brain rather than mm-hmm. the executive functions and mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. Right. so that's you—you've lost them straight away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's important that we don't overload our children because they, they'll get to a point where that's when they give up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you find, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. It's generally because there's too many things, too many information's going on, and that's why you kind of, know well-being's so important because if there's things going on at home, then they're going to be thinking about that, and if they're thinking about that, they're not thinking about the maths, and it makes it a lot harder. It also harder. goes back
0: to the behaviour levels in the class as well, like mm-hmm. that white noise that you were speaking about. Like that's obvious. that's overloading them as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, far.
2: it's it's the this idea of silence and there's a really good stuff on silence. Tom Sheridan writes in his Learn and Rainforest book on silence is that silence is such a funny one because if you say, Right, quiet Quiet can be misconstrued. Yeah. Your version of quiet and your version of quiet because you know, you might come from a really quiet, calm home, you mm-hmm. know, if you interrupt somebody reading the newspaper, oh, no. bad. Whereas <laughs> you might come from a, a loud, mm-hmm. chaotic, there's music on, there's everything on, so Not quiet, quiet to you <laughs> is different. Mm-hmm. But silence, everybody knows what silence yeah. means, so we're going to work on silence. And Douglas wolf talks about, you know, children working in silence is the best time for them to do independent work. Because they might not want silence, but my God, silence is so valuable Mm -hmm. for you being inside your own head, thinking about what you're going to do and what Mm -hmm. you're going to write and how you're going to piece it together. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm working away and and you're (laughs) tapping away, you know that's disrupting learning, and it might be a fidget for you, but you're disrupting others' learning. And Mm -hmm. you know, a class is a whole community of people, and we need to have silence to undertake the work and to think and you know and i used to justify to myself oh they're only chatting mm-hmm. it's 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 okay but then i'd look at their books and i'd be like my god Aye. You, Not know, much yet, it? you know and, and it's that's why you need that work ethic and, and time because we give students time to chat in school they get breaks they get lunches mm-hmm. they're, they're only in school for 16 percent of their childhood yeah you know in terms of mm-hmm. the time so it's it's important that they are learning there. They are getting the mm, knowledge productive. they need, and it's productive. You're right; it's productive, mm. and we have time to go over curriculum and recover curriculum and um, recap it, retrieve it, and go back so that they have the knowledge. We spoke about the transition from National Five to Higher. If you've just rushed through a National Five program and only taught them two factors, they're going to struggle. I think the conversion rate for National Five to National Five A to Higher a is something like thirty something percent which is quite low, Maybe be wrong with that, um, which is quite low, because you would think a National 5A and a higher A would go together, because that's what would happen in most subjects, yep. but you go into so much depth, you're almost giving yourself eight months to cover so much stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Plus the holidays don't yeah. help as well, it's seven weeks off, sometimes I feel the students
1: come back and they're back to school mm-hmm. one again, like could we maybe do retrieval practice through the summer? Yeah, you can sort of mm-hmm. thought. Well, you start your Google st- Classroom that are up and
2: running now. Mm-hmm. You start your lessons, re- recapping there is something you can maybe have. There's a couple of quizzes. I'm going to put four quizzes out to you. You can do a couple of quizzes, but you can come back and you start your courses and you just recap a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, revisit because it will be there. You yeah. know think back to your own schooling. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I went to school a long time ago. You know, I'm not I'm not as young as you get. Mm-hmm. So. Um, somebody will say, oh, you did this at school and then you rack your brain and it will be in there, you know, yeah. your whole lived experience mm-hmm. is somewhere in there I think the, uh, the class, see when you go and like you cover like a
0: maths class or something you got a place to take for maths and then you go up and you're maybe it's like an S1 or an S2 and some of the stuff on the board, maybe S3, maybe right <laughs> and then some, some of the stuff on the board I'm like, yeah, it, it's familiar but I just can't quite remember how to do those like fractions or whatever it is that they're learning about and then you just ask like one of the pupils to explain it and it, it does kind of Come back to you and it's, it's it's amazing how you like much you have forgotten from your own uh-huh. schooling days but it kind of comes back to you when you're so that's just a, an example how it's stored in there yeah, it's it's a, it, it has storage It doesn't take much for you to we understand it if you like did you, managed, did you manage to help them then no absolutely no
1: chance <laughs> 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 was it the p7 transition <laughs> 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 division right so, right so another approach than the direct instruction um t- teacher to student uh teacher led uh, approach What's your tips for implementing this effectively then? Uh,
2: direct instruction is so important um, and, and the teacher, teacher-led teacher lessons are so important because we want the children to, we want to give our knowledge to children and them to give it back to us. Yep. Rather than, I think uh, some people talk about playing ghetto, it's in my head. A lot of questions I used to ask and, and some people ask as they ask a question and you're kind of relying on the, either the child that's had good, I ex- really, R- enriching experience growing up, and they've experienced a lot of life, and they've went to the natural history museum, or you're learning know, and somebody just having a pure guess. Whereas we want the children to just know. So if I'm go- if I'm going to ask them a question about smart targets, I-, I need to make sure that they've I've taught it, because there's a difference between I've taught it and they've learned it, because that's mm. when they're revisiting. So it, do so you I'm, think? Sorry for jumping. Do you think that some people are better suited to direct instruction than? that's an interesting one so have you ever heard of project follow-through no. so project follow-through was the biggest educational research project probably ever in terms of scope and money but it was in 1960s america 1967 to 1980 something but in 1977 it was evaluated so lyndon b johnson as part of some poverty commission decided to commission all this and this is my my take and i interviewed sam hall about it from a podcast and Engelman's direct instruction is very specific. It's it's scripted, it's field tested. It takes him 10 years to develop a scheme of work. Um, sadly, he passed away last year, but his son's carrying it on. And these programmes are, are kind of so based on research that what works. Now, Project Follow-Through, I assessed all these teaching methodologies to find out which methodology works the best.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was kind of almost swept under the carpet and no one really... It's heard about it, but there's a graph that goes about. So they compare normal schooling with all these different things. And they tested basic skills, so reading, writing, maths, problem-solving skills, some more complex stuff, kind of the stuff you would get in maybe TIMS or or PISA problem-solving skills, and effective domains. So this is a fascinating one, you know, kind of self-reporting happiness and self-confidence and self-esteem. In direct, Engelman's direct instruction, a very specific teacher-led methodology was the only one that increased in all three domains. Other models, um, like a PIG model, a cognitive curriculum, which is more student-led and student mm. kind of centre, they actually decreased. And if you think about that, it makes kind of sense. You know, These guys ended up knowing loads of stuff and were able to answer questions in exam and if if you ace an exam you know how that feels mm. oh my god that mm. feels good but you just know stuff
0: mm-hmm.
2: and these guys didn't know this this stuff because they were kind of running about kind of not really learning and having focused learning or depth of learning whereas engelman's program he kind of talks about that 15 percent new stuff the rest is just mm-hmm. space retrieval yeah. over and he was doing this stuff way before kind of we knew about it in cognitive science mm-hmm. which is really interesting so direct instruction and explicit instruction is really powerful. Paul Kirshner talks about this. and Direct instruction and explicit instruction gets a bad rap because of this kind of old arcane way of teacher at the front and belts and chalkboards and copy mm. from the board. But that's not what it is. You know, Think about the examples I've given you today. I want your attention. I want to explain, but I'm going to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Bruce Robertson The Teaching Delusion writes about direct interactive instruction. But it goes deeper than that because... There's this idea of novice v expert, and we're all in this continuum in different mm-hmm. domains, so we take expertise as very domain-specific, you know, in like in, in any anything, you might know loads about science, but it doesn't mean you know, lo- you might know loads about physics, but it doesn't mean you know hunters about chemistry, because mm-hmm. they're very domain-specific, or about history, because they're mm-hmm. very domain-specific, mm-hmm. you know? So... You might be expert in history, but you're kind of a novice in maths. But you think about students and young people, they're probably novices in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Now, novices need direct instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about back to when you re- were riding a bike, you mm-hmm. know, you had stabilisers, you had somebody showing you how to put, your, where to put your feet, where to put your hands, how fast to cycle, how hard to cycle, yeah. how push. And you got direct instruction, and eventually you were able to do it yourself, and it became procedural knowledge. And now it's just easy. And if I asked you to describe how describe how to ride a bike, or I've asked you to draw a picture of a bike, look yeah. a bit look a bit ropey yeah. and you're like, oh, "I'm not sure." I and mean, that's why teachers can kind of teachers teachers suffer from this curse of knowledge because if you think a a maths teacher at the front probably has a maths degree, and and is trying to teach people that don't have it, so he's got to this maths teacher has got to break down all this all his learning. Mm-hmm but students are mainly novices. But then experts, the literature is interesting because you get the um, expertise reversal effect because experts, if you teach an expert through diver- direct instruction, they tend to go backwards, whereas they oh, need right. problems to solve.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, But you can't solve the problems without all the knowledge that comes before, so they need direct instru- explicit yeah. instruction to give that knowledge. And it's why like the Rosenstein pr- Principles of Instruction are so powerful yeah. because... If you read the article, it says the best teachers, the best teachers, the best teachers, the best, and who doesn't want to be the best teacher? Yeah. So they use, ask lots of questions. They introduce material in small steps. They are very clear and articulate with our, with our instruction. They mm-hmm. revisit regularly, mm-hmm. daily, weekly, monthly, and it's all powerful. It comes back to knowing your
1: class end, doesn't it, then? Knowing mm-hmm. what they need at that time. Mm-hmm. But it's direct instruction of you think mm-hmm. they've built their knowledge on smarter targets and they can do sort of cooperative learning tasks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it's, they need to know the
0: knowledge first before you can actually right. do those tasks effectively, basically. Because placement
1: different. used to do loads of
0: cooperative learning, think it was aye, amazing. Aye, and aye. Stuff, and... Just doing it for the sake of doing it, almost.
2: Mm-hmm. There was a aye. McKinsey report by Dorm, Dorm, Dorm in 2015, and they looked at all the PISA results and they tried to compare, it's a, it's a good, gra- a really good graph, um, find a sweet spot for instruction. And they found, again, kind of 80, twi- 80 20 rule or 90 10 is what kind of. Some people advocate like Tom Sherton talks about mode A, mode B, mode A being direct instruction, mode B being more your cooperative learning, project-based task. Yeah. Most of your lessons need to be direct instruction, and only some of them need to be that project-based corporate learning, because they need all this knowledge mm. so they can do yeah. it well. Yeah. And there's work into like corporate learning is great, but you do get social, social loafing. But once once they're all really comfortable with the knowledge, they can really apply it really well but they need all the knowledge before they can go and apply it in different mm. kind of contexts and domains they need to be firm in that knowledge, Engelman talks about mastery, I think Rosenthal talks about you know, being really, he talks about a success rate of over 80% you know, if you're doing a, doing a retrieval task of 10 questions, you want every student in your class to get 8 over 10 8 out, eight out of 10, they only get 8 out of 10 if you're very specific with your instruction and you've kind of really targeted your questioning and your understanding your tasks around that you've revisited the material again you've revisited again and that's then...
1: interesting because yeah, a lot of mine I've been doing maybe out of 18 a lot of them getting 10 11 so maybe it is trying to make it maybe a bit easier to give them that sense of achievement maybe have one or two that are tricky mm-hmm. good that's good Um. so what's, what's kind of three top tips then we're, we're quite big on meaningless like actionable tips that we can take away so mm-hmm. If you had to say for direct instruction, like to implement it effectively, what would it what would it be? Can I get top tips for that?
2: I think, I'll give you three then. Um, I'll, I might squeeze in four. Right. Um, so plan your instruction. Yeah. You know, far too often in my career, I've kind of done it off the cuff, which has been okay because I do have the knowledge. But it's more secure when you plan your instruction. Mm-hmm. Maybe script a little bit or define your your key key point. I've started to think of kind of. Is it like me writing down my one-liners? exactly. Le- ah, <laughs> one? Planning it, so, plan them. And it, makes it makes them easier to come off. <laughs> so I've kind of like moved Thanks. to my success Or learning intentions being like three key points I want them to learn. Yeah. So you will learn that, or the key learning today is boom, boom, boom. And then I go back to that, and revisit that. So I've planned it. Plan your questions. I think <laughs> the best teachers and the best questioning when you're really interrogating have planned it they've mm-hmm. thought deeply about the questions they're going to ask and too often we just ask random questions yeah. so what are the big questions and when you've got your big question and you want them to be able to articulate you can have little questions to scaffold right. that approach and mm-hmm. you can differentiate the questions so i can might ask ask you a question that's a little bit easier to kick us off and then i might ask you to build on that mm-hmm. so i'm challenging i'm Get, you're feeling success. You're building on that, and I've not. Made, you don't notice that. I'm mm-hmm. you, cause i have just asking you because you think i got a teacher just asking right. a question. But we're building on that, so I'm challenging you yep. to take take that further, and then I can go back to you and kind of build on build on what. Claps it or almost par it back, yeah. so you then you are getting that kind of sense of achievement. Kind of, um, mm. Ensure student attention. Yeah, I'll yeah, we'll go back to that. You need Key. you need a you need attention, and I think with anything than that, I love Bruce Robertson's take on it in the direct interactive instruction. Is that make it interactive? Make any instruction interactive, because we all know that a teacher talking at you for fifteen minutes can become hell and boring. Yeah, even though they're telling you really good stuff. You know how long can we really hold our attention mm-hmm. for? There's, I read a book by Bailey and Pransky called "Memory at Work in the Classroom," and they reckoned is I can't remember the rule of thumb. It was like take your age plus a couple of minutes is how long they can really hold their attention in the working memory capacity. And they assumed that adults is around about twenty minutes. So after twenty minutes, adults gone. So if you then take a twelve-year-old, yeah, you know when mm-hmm. is that going? So make it interactive, make it lively. Some of the Some of the the, the best history lessons I took part in as a kid was when there was just a hundred questions around a topic. But by the end, voice equity, everyone spoke, Mm -hmm. everyone said you were listening, you were disagreeing, you were Mm -hmm. agreeing, and you were going, "Oh no, I think you're wrong. This is this." Oh, but I think he's right. And it's a really rich environment but it all came from the teacher. It's all led from Mm -hmm. the instruction they gave. They've given you the knowledge, and then you're able to then question around it and talk about it. power of the power of the should make them feel really really successful I think that should be the aim of, of any lesson is that how can I make the children successful at the end of this lesson mm-hmm. how can I make them feel successful because think about motivation there's interesting work on motivation Petch McCray again really good book his books are really short really readable and this idea around motivation is that kind of our attention dictates our motivation and, or our motivation dictates our attention can't remember which way around it was but we think that Children come to your class already motivated, but actually, you become motivated when you're successful. Yeah. So if you come to my class and you've got this preconceived notion in my class you're going to struggle. Excuse me. But through my instruction and questioning and my retrieval, I've all of a sudden made you feel successful. The class seems a bit easier. Yeah. You know, there's a there was a great newspaper article a couple of years ago from this teacher whose entire maths class got a stars and A's which is unheard of mm. but he went so far beyond the curriculum and retrieved and retrieved and retrieved and retrieved and retrieved that the kids just found it easy. There's another one, there's a really funny video on the BBC, uh, South Korean students sit the Welsh GCSE and the BBC sent Welsh children over to South Korea to check their education system now, it's they work hard, it's wild how mm. hard they work. but. They gave they made them sit a Welsh GCSE mass exam and the Welsh kids are there struggling away not finished. And all the South Korean kids are pencil packed away and sitting like this after fifteen minutes. And done it.
1: They've nailed it in fifteen minutes. I don't think we'll catch up with them, mate we've got to four <laughs> uh, four day working weeks, Nicholas doesn't seem to That's insane, isn't it? So um yeah, Aye, so brilliant, that's, that's sensational, I loved that, Be A bit
0: about direct instruction there. Um, I think the thing about, like the first thing you spoke about is planning what you're going to say, that was what my, my lecture, I always remember that stuck with me, um, getting feedback on my lesson observations on my placements, it's like, I think that was actually feedback you gave to the class as well, June, um, is plan what you're going to say, because if you don't plan what you're going to say, then it's so easy just to, to waffle. go off on a tangent, and mm-hmm. then there's just absolutely no meaning behind it, it's not specific, and before you know it, you're
1: Oh, you were saying on the way in, just
2: trying to teach them one thing aye. and focus on, that's, yeah. it, that's how you try to teach them. I a, a spoke to Sam Elliott, the guy that wrote Asbo Teacher, uh-huh. and in his book has got a really f- a fascinating one. And you can take it a little bit further, so I spoke about my three key points or key ideas. And that's what my lesson's about, that's my questioning, that's my, my independent task, my, my gra- guided practice, my modelling's all around that. But then your homework is to remember that three things in mm-hmm. the world. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just remember them. So you write them down and you go away and remember them. And then the next lesson you come back, you've got to write them down in a bit of paper and hand them to me. Yeah. Have you learned them? And then that's a bit of retrieval. It's, yep. You're focusing on one thing and you want them to embed that one thing. And then that three things might have been homework, but the following week they're in the Do Now quiz at yeah. the start, start of the ah, lesson. Right. You're
1: almost getting, you're getting them to be proactive and yeah. doing it. I'm but then they're going to get like, that
2: success as well straight away. And it? so when they do the Do Now quiz, you go, I know that. I had to learn that last week for homework. That was a that was a crap homework.
1: Yeah. But actually, I know that, so I'm yeah. successful. Setting them up to one. I think it's a big thing as well, like for well being as well, like mm-hmm. scenario indicators, like achieving as one of them, and they have to achieve every lesson, every kid. That mm-hmm. should be a goal. Mm-hmm. So, no, definitely. Class.
0: But then that brings us onto the the last question again. Another feature of your, your high impact teaching um, was the idea of interactive questioning. So. How do you feel this is best achieved within a
2: practical PE lesson, and could you possibly give an example of what this might look like? Certainly. So it goes back to what we we're saying a little bit about defining our content. So let's uh, let's take how you how I teach the the grips with the kind of forehand grips in tennis. So I'm going to define my content. I'm going to define the steps. So the practical steps. What do I want? Well, I want the ball, and I want them to start with the grip. I want them to kind of get them to put their thumb on. The, so you take the racket there. I get them to put their thumb round. So that because when you then have your racket, straight. It just, mm-hmm. in my head, it just works. I can't remember who taught me that, but somebody taught about it. So I want the grip there, so I'm going to check yeah. the grip. So I'm going to get everyone to hold me like that. Where do you put your thumb, thumb, Clark? Like Where do you put your point. thumb, Louis? Show me, show me. Right, so I'm questioning, reactive. Then I'm going to say, right, I want the I want the ball in front. We're going to uh, um, step forward onto the ball. That forces you to get side on. So many, many people teach and say, right, you need to stand side on, but what happens? Yeah. so you that. want them to there so I want you to start so when you do that I'm side on Yeah. so I, I want your lead leg in front I'm going to stand side on and we're going to rotate and we're going to hit it over I want a low ball flight so I've defined
0: oh. my
2: oh. content oh. Oh. I've, I've, I've defined my content so once I've defined my content that's what I repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat okay so that, that shot there where was your lead leg? Where should, oh, like, where should where should your lead leg be? where should, where should your lead leg be? in front Right, okay, so when you hit the ball, where should it be? In front. So I'm questioning all the time. I'm <laughs> using, I'm using <laughs> that question, but I, I would have demonstrated it. Yeah, so yeah. like if you think about your exposition, I would have yeah, yeah. explained it, I would have gotten I mm-hmm. chunked it. I would then show them it. I Aye. would then get use my model performer student to show me, let's watch us do a rally. What mm-hmm. do we see? Where's the is the ball high or is the ball low? The ball's low, lovely. Brilliant. Are we stepping forward or are we just standing yeah. still? Um is it my lead leg or my behind leg? Oh, it's your lead leg. So if you're right-handed, what's your lead leg? If you're right, left-handed, what's your lead leg? Mm-hmm. And you're getting there and things. So you're forcing them to get side on and there and playing. So all my questions is around that. So I might even stop you and, and say, on, on, that, on that last shot, did Clark put his lead leg forward? Mm-hmm. And you go, uh, no. Okay, brilliant. So what do you need to do? Put it forward. Put it forward. There you go. And then you're working towards getting them successful. So it's your question around that. Mm -hmm. Or if you're talking about um, kind of the impact of communication. So communication is sending and receiving a message from, obviously you're defined it. So it's sending and receiving either verbal or non-verbal from us. So we're we're playing a a game of hockey. And then then you're going to say, right, when you were looking for the ball, did what kind of what kind of communication did you use—verbal or non-verbal? there I didn't do anything. Okay, so you didn't use communication to affect your performance. So did you get the ball? No, I didn't. Brilliant. Okay, so then you play again. You stop them, there, He's waving his hand. Okay, so what kind of communication was Clark using? Oh, he was using non-verbal. Then you go and Stephen over there is screaming for the ball. Mm-hmm. And then you go, okay, what kind of communication was he, he using? The verbal. Brilliant. Okay, so how can we use it to help our performance? I'm gonna do this with i won the ball. Brilliant, okay. And then you can bring it, build it forward, right? So Clark was asking the ball, waving for his hand, but was that a good pass? No, why not? Well, because there's a guy standing next to him. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. So then you're building it on, building it on, building it on, building it on, building it on. But it's it's what you define as you're learning, become your questions. Yeah. You know, if I'm working on my ground stroke and that step forward, ball in front, rotate round. If I start talking about overhead and net shots, then Mm -hmm. I've just lost them. It's it's repetitive. It's repetitive for that purpose because if you think we've only got a a 50-minute lesson Mm. and that by the time they're changed and out, that translates into 30, 35 minutes. So we need to be define our content. What do we want them to do? And you differentiate it by, by challenging people. And I might say, right, you two, I want you to take two bounces, two bounces before you mm-hmm. hit the ball. That would be great. I want to see you make two bounces. How many bounces? Two. You know, and then. But equally, I might go to the other court and go like, "You guys, one bounce, one bounce." I want you to hit the ball a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So everyone's doing the same task, and within the time frame, I'm just using going up and speaking to my learner, see if I can get anything. But then, if you're really good, I might then start talking about down to up, mm-hmm. close, kind of having that palm moving. So you're hitting. So then, I'm using my instructions different. All around the same task, but it's all the questions based on ball in front, lead leg forward, mm-hmm. rotation.
1: Yeah, but the whole class, then you can get around individuals mm-hmm. and push them on a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. And then you can take that from a, you can take that into a practice. You can take it into um, a, a complex environment like a, a pair practice. You can then take it into a more complex environment like a game you know in a, in a game you've got to play you know you'd put your conditions on it and you've got to play four five uh, five four hundred ground strokes before you play so you've broken it down you put it into a game but even in the game where should you what should you do should you just you've, you've hit the ball here go and tell me what the correct technique is so oh, it's leading forward ball in front mm-hmm. so then you're embedding that all the way through
0: it's almost like asking questions as you're giving the instructions mm-hmm. so, so that's c- that direct- cementing the the understanding that direct interactive, I suppose that's what you're saying as well. Like, you're also assessing them as mm. you're going, like, yeah. there and then straight away rather than giving out all these instructions and then mm. asking them to remember all the teaching points. Or, and then if you the think about
2: the 80, 80 20 rule, when we come back to our next lesson, your starter task could simply be show me where the grip is, show me where this is. Okay, go and play, go and have a rally. So, mm. we're revisiting, right? New, new, we're not going to spin that round new stuff, we might work on that for 10 minutes, but then we're gonna go back to this, to really embed this, Yeah. and then we'll work on this. And then you start interleaving the two things into the two practices, and you might have this and this, and then you might add a net shot, but when you practice that, you might spend eight minutes on this, you might spend eight a couple of minutes on this, and then a couple of minutes on the net shot, and Mm. you're kind of bringing, because too often you might do forehand ground stroke, next lesson, forehand, Backhand ground stroke, then a net shot, then an overhead, but you haven't embedded the mm. the movement, mm-hmm. you haven't retrieved the movement of the forehand ground stroke, so you're repeating that, and the same questions come up. You've yeah. given yourself questions for five to six lessons. Mm-hmm. It's the same stuff, but they repeat it, they repeat mm-hmm. it, they repeat it, and repetition helps you give that practice. Yep. You can do it in different contexts, or so different practices, different different partners, um, closer to the net, further away from the net, you mm-hmm. know, you can really mix it up, but it's the same learning Yeah, I think
0: the- I know that's definitely the answer, and I feel like I, like if I'm thinking, like when you're like, going through those exams, I'm just thinking about more in teaching as well, like I feel like I do cover cover that to a certain extent, but maybe it just like it's just fine tuning it and just making it that wee bit better, and I feel I need to get better at building on previous learning, that mm-hmm. bit more, and then like you said, that whole 80% or 85%, whatever should be previously and then building on and introducing those next steps, and just kind of drip feeding it in to build on that existing knowledge yeah. to help cement it. I think's my key takeaway message. Yeah, from, same here. From I've that was a good practical
1: example as well of work on the forehand uh, shot and then move on to the next shot and spend. Yeah. If that's a new shot, then you're not spending as as long on it as you probably would. Mm-hmm. If you're not I would plan a lesson on the next shot. Yeah, exactly. That my full lessons right, we're we'll learning this new shot today, but they're not really experiencing success
2: from the last shot. Mm-hmm. But think back to the example I gave you from the beanbags, mm-hmm. you know, this interleaved practice is so apt for sport uh, because sport's such a complex environment and you want them to embed the skill and remember you did the two and four and you did the three but you were better so yeah. you've interleaved it so you've introduced mm-hmm. it and then you've gone back and re- revisit it and you're doing it in different ways, different different practices, different partners, and short, close, far away, you know, you can mix it up so
1: much. Mm-hmm. What's to think about? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, hardball ball, softball.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so many variables, isn't there? Mm-hmm. No, well that kind of rounds it up nicely for the the main part of the podcast. And just want to say thanks for your your, your really in depth answers. You've went into a lot of depth and all the kinda, the questions that we've we've filed at you today. So it's, <laughs> it's been brilliant. Start, and, um, thank you. It's made me really think about my own teaching as we were going through that as well. And um, my cognitive load, how much information I can take in when I'm. It's, it actually gets you thinking. See when you're doing podcasting as well, and you'll be the same it's like when you're listening to an answer it's just trying to remember all those bits of information so that you've you can maybe summarize it or try and understand it and uh, i it's, it's it's brilliant just to kind of get you get you thinking but um you're going to be on the other end of the, the quick fire round i know you're a fan of them <laughs> with your, your podcast slightly different questions um but quick answers three quick questions Are you ready mm-hmm. cool if you could have a billboard anywhere what would it say on it or a giant billboard sorry no, just a wee one. I've hummed and hawed
2: about this, but I think <laughs> my my billboard would say excellence requires effort.
0: Brilliant, short and sweet. Nice. Number two, which people or books have had the biggest
2: influence on your life? I know you've referenced this is, a ton of books. This is a, a mad one because it could go on for, for hours. So I'll, can I go a couple of personal, a couple professional? So personally, uh, Robin Sharma, Tom Billu impact theory, Mm -hmm. google it watch it absolutely robin sharma's stuff he just talks about living the good life and you know if you want to be in the top five percent you've got to do what the 95 percent won't i just love all these little ideas and uh andy proudman um don't know if you're into golf me and my golf andy uh, andy proudman actually helped me incidentally gave me some advice on how to do my podcast he was kind enough to give me some time and Mm -hmm. set me up but I'm a big fan of golf and I think the stuff that he does, he's got a podcast called Live Like a Legend and, Mm -hmm. you know, he just kind of really chases this kind of legendary impact for life where he's continually striving to be better and, you know, putting the effort and the time to to, to be better. I love that. And then professionally, I could could go on for for days and days, but um, Doug Lamov, I think he's Teach Like a Champion stuff. If if, um, you're an early career teacher or a teacher of any age, buy his book. Mm-hmm. It's it's brilliant. It comes with videos. It, it's brilliant. at codifies teaching and break it down for you. And yeah. he talks about the idea of practicing. You know, he's mm-hmm. TLAC online. If you sign up to that, he gives you videos and then asks you to practice and video yourself. And yeah, use video to get better. And this idea of practice, because you give more practice, you can get really better at, at, at teaching. You know, mm-hmm. teaching. think. Okay. Sarah Coingham says in my podcast this week that teaching is a performance yeah, activity, totally. you know, if you think about it like a, like a performance activity, we can get better at it, so I love that. Um you going to try D- and get him on the podcast? I'd love to, I'd love to, if, if he could give me some yeah. of his time, I'd love to just, just just speak with him. Uh, Dylan William, I think some of the stuff, um, a lot of people talk about his formative assessment, but he's got some amazing books around about, a book called The uh, Schools Are our children need, talking about why we need a knowledge-rich curriculum, why we need to improve the teachers we have, leadership of teacher learning, how, how do we develop teacher expertise and get better at the, the art and craft mm-hmm. of teaching I find so fascinating, and I could go on, but another one I really like is, is the thinking and writing of David Dido, if you haven't checked out much of his stuff he's got a, a book called uh, what if everything you knew about education was wrong right really fascinating mm. insights into entire into biases and mm-hmm. of some of the practices and myths and uh, one, one that i go back to time and time again is making kids cleverer a really fascinating insight into intelligence iq mm-hmm. what's called biologically primary and secondary knowledge uh, kind of the importance of knowledge and having knowledge and into the discussions that you usually get of what knowledge, whose knowledge, um, and why is it why it's important, and how schooling can actually make kids clever, mm-hmm. and have that as a purpose of school. I find that really fascinating.
0: Brilliant. I think uh, the, the key ones that stick out for me there is Robin Sharma's books. I've read a, a few. Of his. Clark like, you five, get you get his, you're PM. subscribed to him and you always send me these wee emails that you send you every month. <laughs> five am Club. Yeah, yeah that's read that. You uh, sold the you And the monk who sold his Ferrari. The first no, the that's, Greatness Guy. That was the first one the you recommended it. But his book is just books. so easy to read though because mm-hmm. it's like it's like two pages and then you're on like the next like mini topic and it's just like uh, key learnings. From,
2: aye, that's it's, that's what I like about it. Easy and practical, and I like how you, he lives what he says. and yeah. it's just it's such a fascinating fascinating kind of thing I, I tried getting up at five for a while yeah um, it, 21 it, days
1: it, it, i think they managed was right. another thing but it's supposed to be a habit now but uh, it's, um, right. um, <laughs> you said it's,
0: it's like 21 days to forget something but i think the other rule was 21 days to install a habit but no that definitely didn't work <laughs> definitely <laughs> like didn't, in the,
2: uh, the chapter that people miss out is the one and the importance of sleep is like you do need to go to bed at like 8 8 30 to yeah. actually right. do that and I think we'll get the wrong end. of duties on at nine o'clock.
1: So let's <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll get the wrong end of this. Thank you. was try to stay up to five at the
0: weekend. Right? <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, no, that was great, Dan. Cheers. And the final question in the quick fire round. Then, what advice would you give to a student teacher who's wanting to experiment with some of those high impact strategies that we've, we've spoken yeah, about a today? A couple of
2: things. Um, do your research. Yeah. There's so much gold out there if you if you find it jump onto Twitter or find some blogs or listen to podcasts or buy some books. There is so much gold to to help you, to show you. There's so many videos out there of of teaching, people teaching, and you watch the videos and go, wow, I want to teach like that. And then just do it. Mm -hmm. Just go and practice it, go and do it. I think uh, a lot of people are straight afraid to change. It's hard to change your practice. But if you're an early career teacher, you know, your practice really isn't shaped. You haven't shaped Mm -hmm. your teaching persona, so just try it. You know if if our lesson goes wrong nothing bad really yeah, happens yeah. you know no I'm one trying it. no one gets hurt mm-hmm. so it's about trying it and if you try something don't just try it in a week and give up yeah you know try and embed it does it embed into your routines mm-hmm. practice it with the kids and some, one of the most fascinating thing let's take something really simple like handing books out there's a video on the tlac website by from doug mccurry and he talks about handing the books out and it's a 30 second video and he teaches the kids in his class how he wants them to hand the books out, mm-hmm. they practice it, and then he turns it into a competition to who can do it the fastest. Right. Okay. And he's ju- and then once he's embedded that in it, you know, he teaches for 49 minutes of a 50-minute lesson because of it. Because he's That's not right. wasting time handing books out because he's practiced and practiced with the kids. And Tom Bennett, you mentioned Tom Bennett, yeah. he talks about behavior being a curriculum. Yeah, that was fascinating. You know, how him. many teachers mm-hmm. teach the children? So... P teachers, we go into games, we go outside, do we teach the children how we want them to enter the class, where we want them to go, where we want them to sit, how we mm-hmm. want them to sit, do we teach them that, you or do we expect just them, expect you? it, you know, it's a curriculum as well, mm-hmm. teach them what you want, teach them what the consequences are, so if I'm going to give you a demerit for not listening, I need to teach you that first, I can't just do that on my first mm-hmm. lesson, mm-hmm. I need to teach you, right, if you do that, I'm going to give you a demerit mm-hmm. because I need you listening to me. Mm-hmm. And we'll practice and we'll practice. Okay. So in that moment, what would have what would I what would I normally do? I would give you a demerit. Yeah. Okay. So there's your there's there's your little practice. After now, you're gonna demerit. So we're mm-hmm. teaching them, we're practicing it with them and and embed it over time. It's like when you start doing doing retrieval quizzes and you start mapping out your teaching, it takes time for you to see the fruits of that labour. Mm-hmm. But when you do see the fruits of that labour, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. But if you do it for one week and go, oh, they don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Well, of course they don't. Yeah. You know, so don't it's, like it's like about... It. Persevere. Giving it a chance and, and going. Mm-hmm.
1: And You talk about that a lot as well, like assuming, don't assume that the kids know how to behave. Yeah. Sometimes you can fall into that trap, just assuming that they know I, what do they your know? expectations. But they came from probably a different class, or a different mm-hmm. set of routines. Mm.
0: Uh, so. I think I used to, even just like we were saying there about giving out jars and stuff like that. Think you don't even think about them as you're starting off as a teacher, like how effective those wee strategies and routines can actually be. Like you don't. I, d- I feel like mm-hmm. I didn't learn any of that. I didn't get taught about simple things like that mm. um, until you actually get there and you're like, this is like you actually don't understand how to do this like in an efficient way. Think,
2: uh, think about changing rooms in PE. Do we teach the kids how to put the clothes away? No. You know, like we're just assuming then you go in and then how often do you deal with I can not find my trousers? Yeah. Can I find so there's an exercise there in going in and showing them? Yeah. Right. Put this, you fold this up there, you hang this up there, you put your shoes under there, and then we get get out. Right. And mm-hmm. then it's simple and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this in five minutes. Timer start. Yeah, time mm-hmm. What was and that then, boy
1: you said in your class? Donald, was it? Can you find his? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've been waiting for that one after the full episode, have not you? Huh. Donald <laughs> it, where's your trousers. Oh, that was the guy, Donald, in your first year class. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's definitely true. What? Like those wee simple things to to get the lesson off to a, a fire. I think, but definitely. No, thanks, it, mate. Brilliant. Thanks yeah,
1: for thanks. thanks for coming down today and doing this with us. It's been really interesting and insightful. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wait to watch it back and right. properly listen in again. So yeah. Thanks nice for your time. Thanks for having
0: Brilliant. me.